0: to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the Book of Acts, How Christians Live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com.
1: At the end of the day, you're either repeating or repenting. That's it. That's the message in a nutshell. Let's close in prayer. You want to do that? <laughs> At the end of the day, you're either repeating or you're repenting. Which one characterizes your life? By repeating, I mean this. You're either repeating the same old sins and patterns in your own life again and again and again, or the patterns and the sins of Your ancestors, the family you grew up with, the people you used to hang around with before you knew Christ. Some of you don't yet know Christ. If you're listening by podcast or on radio, you might not know Christ as your savior. Today could be the very day when you accept Christ as your savior. Or your life could be characterized, generally speaking, as one that's repenting transforming, being transformed again and again and again. The moment you give your life to Christ, you repent. You have to do that. You can't get into the kingdom of heaven, can't have all of your sins forgiven unless there's that moment in your life where for the very first time you give your life to Christ, you ask Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins, and you recognize that Jesus died on the cross for you. He was sinless, he is sinless, and he took your place on the cross. Well, that doesn't mean anything if you don't accept the gift that God the Father has given to you, extended to you through the person and the works of Jesus. It's one thing to have a gift extended, it's another thing to accept the gift. And the gift is that Jesus Christ died and paid for every single one of your sins on the cross. You need to accept that gift. But at the end of the day, your life is either going to be characterized as repeating the same old sins, the same old mistakes again and again, or Characterized as one of repentance. You're either repeating or repenting. That doesn't mean that we don't commit sins again and again. I'm not talking about a life of perfection. I'm talking about the trajectory of your life. The primary characteristic of your life needs to be characterized by repenting, teachability being pliable, being someone who learns from the things that God is trying to teach you, the things that God is teaching you. Look back at the past year of your life, the number of years in your life, and ask yourself this question. More importantly, ask God this question. God, is my life primarily characterized as repeating or repenting? It's important to ask those questions because this is really what we would boil down Stephen's message into. This is what Stephen's message comes down to in the book of Acts as we turn to Acts chapter six, beginning in verse eight. This is a pivotal section in all of the book of Acts as God raises up his servant, Stephen, who is filled with the spirit, filled with wisdom. And we get another example of what humble courage looks like. What can you expect When you submit to the Spirit of God, when you're Spirit-filled and Spirit-led, what will you do? How will you act? What will the consequences be of a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led life? Well, it comes to us courtesy of God's Word. To summarize Stephen's message, he basically brings up four things. Number one, he reminds the people, the Jewish leaders who are his primary audience, he reminds them, that they are the people who believed in this promise of a Savior, a Messiah. That's central to Judaism. Central to all of Judaism is that they believed and they believe in a coming Messiah, all right? Secondly, he helps them understand that the Jews as a nation often resisted God and his will they often, even though they were his people, the chosen people, the chosen nation, the Jews as a nation often resisted God and his will. Third, he reminds them that the Jews as a nation often resisted God's leaders, the people that God raised up to lead the nation were often resisted by God's people. Tremendously sad and tragic irony. And fourth, He helps them understand that the temple is not the only place where God can be found. Something that the Jewish people had forgotten. And all of this culminates, all of this converges together in what is a very lengthy sermon by Stephen. It all comes together to a throwdown a challenge by Stephen who's not even an apostle he had been chosen by God to wait on tables all of it boils down into this challenge through the mouth of Stephen and the challenge is this you are rejecting Jesus rejecting the apostles in the same way that our ancestors rejected God and his leaders. See, they are repeating when they should be repenting. They're repeating the sins of their ancestors when instead they should have been repenting. And at the end of the day, this is a message for you and for me, not something that's just historic or historically accurate in terms of Stephen's message there here in the book of Acts, it's a good reminder for you and for me, for each and every one of us, what is the primary characteristic of your life as a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you repeating or are you repenting? Acts chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now this, if you've been following, this should cause your curiosity to peak here because Stephen is not one of the apostles. And up to this point, it is only the apostles through whom signs and wonders are being performed. So this breaks the mold. If you're somebody who says, well, signs and wonders can only be done by an apostle, it's not totally true scripturally. Now, we don't know whether Stephen's ability to perform signs and wonders occurred after the apostles laid hands on them, because he's one of the seven who's chosen to wait on tables. But I don't want to strain an ass and swallow camels. The important thing to understand is that God does not allow himself to be put into a box. Even though generally speaking, consistently, the signs and wonders have been done through the apostles up to this point, we now see a branching out that someone other than the apostles is now being used by God in a powerful, significant way, and his name is Stephen. And it's significant that signs and wonders are attributed to Stephen because in the same way in the Old Testament, as we're going to see through Stephen's sermon, through his message, signs and wonders were one of the things that characterized whether or not God was moving in an individual, raising up an individual. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, which is the Sanhedrin. And they set up false witnesses. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is what they did with Jesus. They accused him falsely. They set up false witnesses and said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So we're seeing the complete innocence of Stephen here. Verse 1 of chapter 7, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. This is a reference to Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant, which you've heard me say before, All of scripture hinges and is built upon the Abrahamic covenant. Going back to Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 21, and then in Genesis 22, when God tells Abram, when God tells Abraham, offer up your son, your one and only son through whom I'm promising to fulfill all of the things I've said up to this point. So the Abrahamic covenant is key to understanding all of the Bible. It's key to understanding all of life. You can go back and look at those chapters of Scripture, and this is exactly what Stephen is referencing, the Abrahamic covenant. Now, the interesting thing here is that this man, Stephen, who is filled with wisdom and filled with the Spirit, actually believes the Old Testament is true. He actually embraces the historical accuracy of the Old Testament. And it's one of the characteristics of a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led person. You actually believe this stuff, the Bible. We see that again and again and again. If you want to be a man or a woman or a boy or a girl who's used powerfully by God, who's filled with the Spirit of God, whose life is characterized by wisdom, making wise choices, you don't reject the Bible, you actually... Accept the Bible. You embrace the Bible. And this is an important thing that you need to understand, that I need to understand. When we look at this passage of Scripture, if we don't stop and pause and let this really sink deep down into who we are, we miss it. He's not questioning the historical accuracy of the Old Testament accounts as we're now going to detail them, as we're now going to run through Stephen's sermon. So, It's a good thing for us to understand. It's a good thing for us to take to heart. If you want to be somebody whose life is characterized by being filled with wisdom and filled with the Spirit, you're in a good place if you embrace the Scriptures, if you take them as they are presented. If the literal sense makes sense, everything else is nonsense when it comes to the Bible. So you're not a looney tune if you believe in the stories of the Old Testament. You're actually somebody who's on a good trajectory. You're on a good ground. You're on solid ground. You are similar to Stephen and other people who were men and women of faith in the Bible. They actually believe that it's not allegory. It's not symbolism that's presented. It's actual historical accounts of God moving People moving with him and yet other people not moving with him. Repeating the same mistakes, the same sins again and again and again and again and again. What about your life? See, this is something that Stephen is trying to help the council understand, the leaders of the Jewish people. The whole gist of his message is that the Jewish people as a nation anticipated the coming of a Messiah. That's great. But the Jewish people as a nation often resisted God. The Jewish people as a nation often resisted God's leaders. And the temple, which became this place that was perhaps overly revered, I say that respectfully, Stephen wanted to remind them the way God wanted to remind them that the temple was not the only place where you could find God. And these people were repeating the same mistakes, the same sins of their forefathers by now repeating their resistance to God and their resistance to those whom God was raising up by rejecting Jesus and rejecting his apostles. And now they are rejecting Jesus. Stephen, through false accusations. So what about in your life? Let's pause for a moment before we look down our noses at the Sanhedrin and the leaders of the nation of Israel. They are guilty of repeating the sins of their forefathers. So what I started off by saying, your life is generally characterized by either repeating or repenting repeating or repenting. You're going to see very clearly that these leaders of Israel, they show one characteristic. If it's one characteristic among all the others, it's that they're not teachable. They're not pliable. They're not teachable. They're not pliable. They're not teachable. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't want to get it. And yet repentance in the Bible as a lifestyle, humility teachability, they're all intertwined. You cannot be a follower of God if your life is not characterized as one that is teachable. I don't care how old you are. God doesn't care how old you are. Listen, God's a lot older than you. It doesn't matter how young you are. There are younger people who are more pliable, more teachable, more humble, more repentant in their lifestyle, I don't care how many mistakes you've made in your life. The question is, what do you do once you make a mistake? Do you repent? What do you do once you commit a sin? If you're waiting for perfection in your life, this side of eternity, it's not going to happen. Perfection was found and is found in the person and the works of Jesus. That's what salvation is all about. Jesus is perfect because he knows that you're not perfect, I'm not perfect. We will all commit acts of temporary insanity, also known as sin, and yet we're responsible for them nonetheless. At the end of the day, your life is either one that is characterized by repeating or repentance. And a lifestyle of repentance is one that's teachable. You're not resisting God. You might, like the Jewish people, have something in common in a deeper way. While they were anticipating the arrival of the Messiah, if you're a Christian, you know that the Messiah has come. Well, good for you. Now your life needs to be characterized as not resisting that God whom you embraced and who you accepted as your savior, but following him. Now your life needs to be characterized as one that is not resistant to God's leaders. And that's a very humbling thing to be a leader and to remind other people to follow the leaders. But that's in scripture, Hebrews thirteen seventeen: Obey your leaders in the Lord. Because if you don't, it's not going to go well for you. And yet this is one of the things that happens often in the church, rebellion rules, not repentance. And it's an art, not a science. You know, science is if I drop something, it's going to hit the ground 10 times out of 10, not 9.9 times out of, you know, however many times we do it. If I drop something, it's always going to hit the ground. That's gravity, that's science. But there's an art to leadership and there's an art to Following leaders. You don't follow an authoritarian leader because the authoritarian leader is sinning, right? It's not a carte blanche statement that you should submit to your husband wives if your husband is abusive because there's a sin issue there. It doesn't mean that you should submit to your wife because it also says in Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not just that wives are supposed to submit to husbands, there is this principle of mutual submission to each other. But there is also the principle, I think, that of the 51% card, that when there's a split decision, the husband needs to make the decision, the headship principle. The buck does stop with somebody in the context of a family. And I'm not sexist to say that. That's what the Bible teaches, okay? When there's a split decision, somebody's got to make a decision and The 51% card falls on the husband in a marriage relationship. It's reasonable. you got to make a decision sometimes when a decision seems difficult to make. But one of the things you have to understand in your own spiritual DNA is the propensity to be a repeater, that you could make the same mistakes that you've made in the past, commit the same sins you've made in the past, commit the same sins that other people have made in the past, just like the Jewish leaders are doing here or you can be somebody whose life and lifestyle is characterized by repentance. Teachability, humility. No longer resisting God the way you used to do before you came to know Christ, but now submitting and surrendering to God. No longer resisting the leaders that God raises up, the movement of the spirit of God. This is why it's important for children. You do need to respect your parents because there's a blessing that's provided there so that it will go well with you. It's the first command with a promise, the book of Ephesians says. Children, obey your parents so that it will go well with you. You know, obedience in the Bible, obedience brings blessing. Disobedience always brings discipline and difficulty. So it's important for children to obey, to respect your parents. It's important for wives to respect and to obey their husbands. Unless the husband is sinning, then you have an obligation to obey God rather than man, literally speaking. It's important for there to be harmony in a marriage relationship where there is mutual respect and mutual submission. That's one of the ways that you're looking for the confirmation of God. Do we have unity in this as a husband and wife? Are we on the same page? If you're seeking God, and I'm seeking God, then we can wait on God together and individually until God makes clear this is the way, walk in it. And a lot of problems in marriage relationships would dissolve. They would evaporate if a husband and a wife were committed to the biblical principle of unity. And by the way, unity comes as a byproduct of humility. Oftentimes, One of the reasons why we're we're not united in our marriages is because there's a deeper problem. It's not a unity issue, it's a humility issue. Humility always leads to unity. Eventually, sooner or later, if you've got a group of people, if you've got two people or more, and they're all committed to doing the right thing in the sight of Jesus, and they're all committed to seeking the Lord, and surrendering to him. They're all committed to saying yes to God before they even know what the answer is. That's the safest place that you can be. So in your marriage relationship, be committed to humility, agreeing with God about the truth. You don't care where it comes from. You just want the truth. And God will eventually, in the passages of time, he'll speak the truth He'll make the truth clear. And if you're already committed to the Lord, regardless of what God's will might look like, then you'll have a much easier time walking in the will of God. See, if you wait to discern whether or not you agree with God before you, whether you like the plan of God, follow me on this. If you wait until you like the plan of God before you're willing to say yes to the God who gives his plan, you're gonna struggle in life. You're gonna get stuck in your spiritual walk with God. Your answer to God is yes before you even know what the plan is. Because he'll lead you, he'll direct you, and he'll guide you, he's trustworthy. Jesus never lied. People lie all the time. They did it here with Stephen. Set up false witnesses. But you need to understand when you take a step back and look at your life. You know, We were down in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago. We were looking at impressionist paintings. Impressionism. You know, impressionism is the kind of thing where if you stand close to a painting, maybe two feet away or even closer, all it looks like is a bunch of blotches. And we're talking about famous paintings by impressionist artists. All it looks like is a bunch of blotches because you're so close, that's all it looks like. You've got to be able to take a few steps back and the further you get away within reason, the more the painting comes into clarity. You say, oh, now I understand what that is. That's a, that's a girl holding a watering can in the midst of a bunch of flowers. But if you're so close to an Impressionist painting, if you're if you really close to an Impressionist painting, you won't be able to see the forest through the trees, if you know what I'm saying. And this is what you need to be able to do in your own life spiritually. You need to be able to take a step back and you need to be able to ask, am I a person whose life is characteristically one known by repeating or repenting. Does it seem to be the same thing different day? If you have difficulty in your marriage relationship where there's a lot of conflict there and difficulty in your work relationship where there's a lot of conflict there and difficulty in your relationships with people in the church where there's a lot of conflict there, difficulty with people in the community, if you look at the course of the past year of your life or sometimes the many years of your life, You can begin to get an understanding by taking that step back whether or not your life is characterized by repeating or repenting. Does that make sense? Trying to break it down so that we really understand. Are you repeating the same sins again and again and again and again, or are you teachable? Are you learning lessons? Are you pliable? Are you moldable? Are you humble? Are you listening to God or resisting him? Are you listening to the leaders God is raising up or are you resisting them? Do you have the attitude that the people of Israel, the leaders of Israel did? That after the passage of time, they thought that the temple was the only place that was special in the sight of God. They did not understand what would become a major teaching in the New Testament that now your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and you are to honor God with your body And your mind. And so, Stephen is in the middle of giving them a sermon, teaching them, reminding them of their rich history that they would not argue with. Everything that he says is true. And this is one of the things that incites them. They were not teachable. They were not humble. They were not moldable. One of the reasons why people get upset is because they know it's true. One of the reasons why people get upset when God is speaking to them is because they have not kept at the forefront of their heart and mind that the objective of my life is to agree with God, regardless of what God might be saying to me. And so these leaders, as you're going to see, they demonstrate resistance to Stephen, they demonstrate resistance to Almighty God. Even though what Stephen is saying, through the power of the Holy Spirit, earlier they could not resist the wisdom and the power through which he spoke. The leaders were ultimately resisting God. Stephen's speaking the truth here. So Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, Genesis 21, the Abrahamic covenant, all of the Bible is understood. If you understand the Abrahamic covenant, all of life is understood. And this is what Stephen begins with, all right? Verse five, yet He gave him no inheritance. God gave Abraham no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. He's giving them a history lesson on the nation of Israel. But I will judge the nation that they serve. Speaking of the Egyptians, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, see they're resisting the person that God raised up, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of the afflictions and gave Him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all, and Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But... As the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race, the Jewish people, and forced our fathers to expose their infants or to abandon their infants. If you know that story in Exodus so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, God speaking through Moses, raising up a leader. And he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed or abandoned, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up As her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. Again, we see this coming up again and again in the book of Acts. How do you know whether or not God's hand is on somebody? Signs and wonders, words and deeds. Nobody's going to debate about in modern times, here during Stephen's speech about whether or not God's hand was on Moses. That's why he's bringing this up. When he was 40 years old, verse 23, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? If you look at the Old Testament, Stephen is sticking right to the playbook. He really believes that this stuff is true, historically accurate, and you would do well to believe the same. Verse 28 Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, Moses is 80 years old. An angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, There came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and Moses trembling and did not dare to take a look. Then the Lord said to him, take off the sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their groaning. I have come down to deliver them and now come, I will send you to Egypt, this This Moses whom they rejected, see, they rejected Moses saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Deuteronomy chapter 18, the promise of the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Look at Deuteronomy 18 and you'll see exactly what he's referring to. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles given to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside and in their hearts, they turned to Egypt saying to Aaron, remember the golden calf incident? "'Make us gods who will go before us. "'And for this Moses, as for this Moses, "'who led us out of the land of Egypt, "'we do not know what's become of him. "'And they made a calf in those days "'and offered a sacrifice to the idol "'and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. "'But God turned away and gave them over "'to worship the host of heaven "'as it is written in the book of the prophets. "'Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices "'during the 40 years in the wilderness O house of Israel?' You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Raphan, the images that you made to worship and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, referring to the tabernacle, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place. Pay attention here because this is all coming to a culmination for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. The prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. He's quoting again from the Old Testament. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As as your fathers did, so do you. They're repeating, right? Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, speaking about the Messiah, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So what Stephen is doing is he's basically... Making this statement, you could, if you were going to word it as a question, it would be worded this way. Don't you understand that you're repeating the same sins as our forefathers? Don't you understand that you are repeating the pattern of rejecting God, rejecting his leader? And even though you are among the people with this great heritage of anticipating the Messiah, it doesn't matter because you missed him. And now you're being given an opportunity again to do what? To repent. Let's see if you do. Let's see if the light bulb goes on if you begin to understand that you are repeating the sins of our forefathers when instead you should be repenting by embracing Jesus and embracing the message of Jesus that's been given through the apostles. Don't you understand that it is not supposed to be about the temple. It's supposed to be about the Messiah, the Savior. You're in danger of missing it all. So his call to them is the same call that God has on your life and mine. It's a call to repentance. He's pleading with them. He's urging them. He's prompting them, be teachable, be moldable, be humble, be somebody who does not delight in your past history at the expense of what's happening right now. What is God saying to you now? What is God doing now? Two questions that you do well to get into your spiritual DNA. What is the spirit of God saying and doing What is the Spirit of God saying and doing for me individually, for my family, for my church, in the nation? Number two, how do I best respond to what the Spirit of God is saying and doing? This is what the nation of Israel, the leaders of the nation of Israel, should have been doing. And Stephen, through the inspiration, the power, the filling with the Holy Spirit, is taking them to the woodshed. He's taking them to the woodshed and helping them to understand. There's nothing that they could refute in what he said up to this point. You rejected Moses. You had the tabernacle, the portable worship service, but you were following false gods. You went back to the gods of Egypt by fashioning that golden calf and saying, this is the Lord. No, it's not the Lord. That's one of the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. You had the tabernacle where God's presence was manifest and you're delighting in the temple, you're repeating the same sins that your ancestors repeated when you should be repenting. They rejected Joseph, you're rejecting Jesus. They rejected Moses, you're rejecting Jesus. They were all about the movement, the power, the presence of God, that's one of the things that distinguished the nation of Israel from all other nations on earth. And here they are, once again, it is a deja vu experience. Same thing, different day. Now they are rejecting God's anointed and appointed, the prophet, and the messengers who've been given the message of salvation, the message of the gospel, they're rejecting all of that. And this is why Stephen culminates his history lesson by saying, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Look at the response of the people. Now, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They tore their garments and they repented in sackcloth and ashes. That's not what they do at all. But the real question for us in the 21st century is this. What do you do when God is speaking to you? You need to be very careful that as much as the Bible is a history book, that it's not only a history book for you and for me as followers of Jesus Christ. It's a history book to show us how God moves and how people move with him and how sometimes, oftentimes, people don't move with him so that we don't repeat the same mistakes, so that we don't repeat the same sins, but instead, we repent. Look at their response. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. If you look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, says that Jesus is seated, but here he is standing to receive what will become the very first martyr for the glory and the sake of Jesus. So you don't believe this lie that many of us have come to believe in the church that if I follow Jesus, it's going to lead to a life of comfort and convenience. Not true. If that was the case, Stephen would have been delivered from death. Sometimes it is your faithfulness to Jesus that causes Problems. And we need to understand that in the United States of America. Because our backing off when we should be standing up, speaking out about the gospel and living the gospel, loving people passionately and not compromising on the truth, that sin of self protection, so rampant in the United States of America, we get a little bit of name calling thrown our way, we get a little bit of lowercase p persecution thrown our way. And we're ready to bail on Jesus, not Stephen, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it does not necessarily mean that you will be protected. It means simply this. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you will give glory to Almighty God regardless of the consequences. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will glorify God regardless of the personal price that might be paid. This is what it means to worship Jesus. Worship costs us something. And sometimes it comes in the form of persecution in the most serious of all ways. Verse 56, Stephen says, he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who will become the Apostle Paul. It's the writer introducing us to a major player in the book of Acts and all of the New Testament. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. How amazing that is that he's calling out to Jesus to the glory of God the Father. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he died. He fell asleep. That's what 1 Corinthians 15, verse six makes clear. When a Christian dies, it's akin to symbolically saying that they've fallen asleep because this life is not the only life. When this life is over, you transition into the very presence of God. To be absent in the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. It's an amazing thing that Stephen gives us an example of what does it mean to be filled with wisdom and to be filled with the spirit. He is gracious to his persecutors. Of all the things he could say, this is one of the things that you hear me say again and again, it's true. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you say things that you humanly would not say. You do that with the sinful nature too. When you're filled with the flesh, the sinful nature, instead of the Holy Spirit, you say things you shouldn't say. But here's where Stephen is losing his life. doesn't get more serious than that. He's losing his life because he's been faithful to Jesus, we don't see him becoming bitter toward God. We don't see him becoming bitter toward his adversaries and his accusers. This is important for us to remember today. He speaks the truth with undying love. You want to know what it means to speak the truth in love? This is it. Stephen is speaking the truth in love. He's not compromising on the truth of Almighty God and yet he is so filled with love that he actually cares about his persecutors. And we need to learn a lesson about this today in the body of Christ. When we're experiencing just a little bit of persecution today, we need to be humble filled with the spirit of wisdom, filled with the Holy Spirit. This is how a spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-empowered, servant of Almighty God handles opposition. He doesn't back down. He doesn't flinch from speaking the truth. He understands these people are spiritually blind. Lord, of all the things he could go out saying, do not hold this sin against them. You know, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, You act like Jesus. You think like Jesus. After all, it was Jesus who said, Father, while he was on the cross, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So the spirit of truth is moving powerfully in Stephen's life. As 1 John says, God is love, moving powerfully in Stephen's life. And your life needs to be characterized by those same things being loving toward people who might disagree with you. But more importantly, when you are representing Almighty God, make sure that you are, when you are representing Almighty God, it's important to speak the truth and to speak it lovingly. And sometimes people don't understand that. They didn't understand it when it was happening right here. If ever there was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, it was Stephen. And it did not mean that because he was filled, he would live a safe, comfortable life that was protected. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when your obedience to Jesus is unwavering, it actually could mean that you're putting yourself in harm's way, not getting out of harm's way. But that's okay, because Stephen went to a far better place. And Stephen needed that comfort by seeing the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of his father, To receive him. That's a, that's a statement of honor that Jesus is pleased with Stephen's behavior. Jesus is pleased with Stephen's behavior by demonstrating his getting up off of his throne to receive him into his presence. And there's a lesson in that for you and for me. That when we stand for Jesus, Jesus stands for us. Those two are inseparable. But be very careful. It's so easy today to begin to hate those who reject Jesus. It's very easy to begin to become embittered toward God because he didn't protect us from whatever false understanding we might have of him. No, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and leave the consequences to God. You need to be faithful to Almighty God and leave the consequences with him. And look what happens here as we start to go into Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution. The apostle Paul, before he was the apostle, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except The apostles. Now, when we come back into the book of Acts, we're going to continue in Acts chapter 8 and we're going to see that this is a transition point for the rest of the book that actually in the sovereignty and providence of God is the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And God actually used persecution to cause his plan. To prevail. And I'll end with a question that's pertinent and important for your life and mine. What is happening in the course of your life? Are you repeating or repenting? Are you repeating or repenting? Now you know exactly what that means to such a degree that you can apply it in your own life.
0: been listening to the michael anthony bible teaching podcast if you enjoyed this message you'll love michael anthony's courage matters podcast where he focuses on leadership relationships and world events you can also invite michael for an interview guest appearance or as a keynote speaker for your event to learn more visit couragematters.com or download the free courage matters app in the meantime keep looking up there's no place else worth looking